Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard. Thanks for joining me today as we continue to make our way through the New Testament this year, following along the curriculum schedule made by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon Church, you may have heard them called in the past. They're studying through the New Testament this year. I am not a Latter-day Saint. I do not belong to that organization. I'm a Bible church pastor at Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. And uh, I am just going along with that schedule and saying, here are some thoughts that I have as a Bible church pastor about the passage that they're looking at and offering insights from that perspective if you're interested in that sort of a thing. And we only have five lessons left. This is the fifth to last lesson for this year. I probably won't put out a, a special Christmas uh, video for this series this year. We'll do a Christmas message on Christmas Eve, Sunday morning this year. Uh, so that'll be happening, but probably not going to do a special message here. So there will be this lesson today from 1 Peter chapter 2. It's where we're going. And then we will hit up 1 John chapter 1 next week. After that, we have three lessons in Revelation, and then we're done. Wow, that's just crazy, because I started this January of 2022 when the LDS Church was going through the Old Testament, and I did one of these a week throughout 2022. I've done one of these a week throughout 2023, and we're almost done. And I'll just be frank, it'll be a relief for me, because um, this is a project I started, not sure how long I would go, and I've just kept it going because there's been enough feedback, enough involvement, enough uh, of a listening audience to make this worth it. I've seen some interesting feedback, interesting comments. It, it's just, it's definitely been worth it. But I tell you, doing one of these week by week, I know it seems like a small thing, but it is just one of those things that kind of looms over my head. There's a lot going on at our church. There's a lot going on in my life. And uh, to add this extra thing has been worth it, but it's been intense, and I'll be glad to kind of retire it, at least for a couple of years. Maybe next time the Mormon church goes through the Old Testament and the New Testament, I'll do this again with different insights. Uh, I probably, probably shouldn't. All right, we'll just leave it at that. So anyway... <laughs> <laughs> five left. This is the fifth to last one that we're going to be looking at or going to be uh, having. And this week, we're going to 1 Peter chapter 2, the last five verses of that chapter. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 21. It says, oh, this is the passage I'm going to take you to next. That's not where I want to start. I want to start right here. 1 Peter 2, 21. For you have been called for this purpose... Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Wow. Well, that's a great, great passage, isn't it? A lot of good stuff in there. 
I want to uh, come at this passage, though, from an angle you may not expect. Whether I'm informing you about something that you weren't really familiar with beforehand or just reminding you about something you already knew, there is a movement out there in the world. It used to be pretty much just like an American thing, but now it's really spread into Africa, especially, and some into South America and Asia. It's this movement called the Prosperity Gospel. And the Prosperity Gospel is a false Christian movement. It's a it's anti-Christ. It is um, a very self-centered, prideful, self-worshipping uh, system of religion that says that God wants people to be healthy, wealthy, and just generally prosperous in all things in life. Um, the The main message of this movement that gets discussed by its main preachers is uh, is that if you have enough faith, God will basically give you these things that we all want, uh, good health and lots of money. Well, it is uh, definitely anti-Christian. It is anti-Bible. It is against the truth of the Word of God. It is against hum- humble worship of God. It's against all humility. It's against um, Christian virtue. It's against so much of what I hold dear as a Bible-believing Christian. And First Peter is a great book to go to to prove the heretical nature, or you could even say blasphemous nature, of the prosperity gospel. Because what we just read here in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 21, what we just read is that Jesus himself suffered. He says, you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. So Christ suffered. There's a word that the prosperity gospel people don't like. Suffering. Christ suffered. And he did so as an example that we would follow in his steps. Christ suffered for multiple purposes, and we'll see another major purpose here in just a moment. But one of the main reasons why Christ suffered was to leave an example for his followers to do the same, to suffer. He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, Peter says. Peter likes to quote the Old Testament prophets, especially because his audience was Jewish. They were ethnically Jewish, but they had become Christians. Jesus committed no sin. He had no deceit in his mouth. He was reviled, but he did not revile in return. He did not you know, utter insults back to them or threats back to them. But instead, he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. I think that's a really, really important phrase that can get overlooked in the middle of all of this. That Jesus, though, um, as the eternal Son of God, he has no need to have faith. In the flesh, there was this element that he had to keep entrusting himself as a human being. He had to keep entrusting himself to the Father, the one who judges righteously, and he kept doing that even through his suffering, even through the hardships that he had in life, even though he was being reviled, even though he was um, being threatened by people in his suffering. He, he just kept entrusting himself to the Father. 
And um, this is a beautiful picture, beautiful example for Christians of how we are to live. If you are someone who leans toward prosperity gospel type of beliefs, you would say that um, this example that Jesus left us really isn't relevant today. Maybe for those first century Christians who you know were being persecuted and stuff, but for us today in 21st century America or Africa or South America, you know, God wants you to be just prosperous in all things. So Joel Osteen is like one of the top prosperity gospel guys. And if you listen to anything that he preaches, it's almost always going to be laced with this self-worship desire for comfort stuff and like bossing God around with prayers and saying, I declare that this is going to happen. And God is then, of course, in his view, uh, subjected to your will and must give you what you want because you are naming it, you are claiming it by faith, and now God has to do it. I mean, it's just a bunch of garbage is what it is. And so what do you do with First Peter chapter 2 where it says Jesus suffered so much in the flesh, and that suffering was an example for his followers that as we suffer, we would live like him and not returning threat for threat or reviling for reviling or violence for violence, but that we would be in humble submission to the will of God, and the will of God for us is sanctification, and that sanctification so often comes through suffering just like you see in the life of Job and many, many other people in the Bible, including the apostles. So we are to follow in the example of Christ, who suffered and did so righteously, kept entrusting himself to God. That's what we are to do, too, as Christians. And he himself, it says in verse 24, bore our sins in his body on the cross. So here's that other major reason for his suffering. There's that example element, but that example element is really hollow and needless apart from this element, which is in his suffering, he was bearing our sins in his body on the cross. So this is really, really important, especially to any Latter-day Saints who are listening. You get the theology of the cross right here that he himself, so we're talking about Jesus Christ. We're not talking about anybody else but Jesus, and that's obvious and clear enough. He bore our sins, meaning he took upon himself the things that we have done that are wrong. This is before even many, many, many of these sins were committed. I mean, think about Peter writing to this audience There would be some at this time who perhaps were not born when Jesus died on the cross uh, in history. There were, of course, people who were alive at that time who went on to continue to sin after Jesus died on the cross. So when it says he bore our sins, he's not talking about he just bore the sins that had been committed up to that point by people who had been born up to that point. When it says that he himself bore our sins, it's talking about all the sins, past, present, and future, he bore our sins. That's pretty amazing. He died bearing our sins. Bore is a, it's kind of a funny word. The more you look at it, the funnier it gets. He, he himself bore our sins. Not like the swine bore, but B-O-R-E. He bore our sins. All of our wrongdoings, all of our rebellion, all of our evil, all of our wrong thinking, all of the things 
that are against truth, that are against holiness, that are against the very nature and character of God, he took those on himself, paying for them. He he stood as the innocent one in our place, which is a guilty place. Jesus took the guilt, the punishment we deserved. He bore our sins. That's what that means. Okay, now here's where we get even more specific. He did so in his body. So this penalty wasn't like a a payment he could make with cash or coin or whatever. It wasn't some sort of phrase he could utter to, you know, sprinkle fairy dust over our sins and make them dissolve or something like that. He had to, in his own person, this is why it's very important to believe that Jesus really truly had a body. He was incarnate. He took on true human flesh. He had to, in that true human body, bear our sins by dying in our place for our sins. That's the punishment that is owed to sin, that there would be death. And so Jesus bore our sins by dying in that human body. These sins were paid for in his human body, with his human body. Not apart from his body, but with his body. And, of course, we're talking about death, not just a little bit of bleeding. He didn't go to the doctor and get a vial of blood withdrawn, and that vial of blood, you know, was sufficient to wash away all the sins, past, present, and future. That's not how God's system has been set up. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament, particularly Leviticus 16, you'll see that God's punishment has always been death. And so when it says he bore our sins in his body, it's talking about the death of his body, the the free will giving up of his body, offering his life. And even more specific, it goes on to say that this all happened on the cross, not in the garden critical to understand, because what does LDS doctrine teach? LDS doctrine teaches that Jesus in the garden bled, literally, out of every pore, and that was atonement for sin. Uh, Now, he may have bled out of his pores, literally. This comes from Luke's gospel, where it says his sweat became like drops of blood. I tend to lean toward... uh, This is an analogy, it's a simile that uh, Luke is using, that his sweat was pouring down just like blood does when there's a big wound. Okay, Sweat is usually just like a little trickle, Um, but when there's a large gash and blood comes out, it's coming out big time, and I think that's what his sweat was like. His sweat was like drops of blood, and even you could say big, thick, okay, sweat. That was Luke's point. Um, and at any rate, though, if, even if you believe that he was bleeding out of every pore, which could have totally happened, it wasn't in the garden where this atonement was made. It wasn't in the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus bore our sins in his body. Peter here says in his first letter that Jesus bore our sins in his body specifically on the cross. This is so, so important. You don't look to any other event in Jesus's life and say, that's where atonement for sins was made. You look to the cross and you see that is where atonement for sin was made. That's the beauty of the cross, though it is, of course, in the world's eyes, this tool of persecution. It's like an electric chair. It's a, it's a death instrument to 
uh, kill somebody. It's capital punishment. For the Christian, the cross is beautiful. The cross is, is absolutely beautiful. We preach the cross, which to those who are perishing is foolishness, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We look at the cross, which is an empty cross, by the way, because he was taken down off of that cross and was buried and rose again and ascended into heaven. We look at that empty cross and we say, that is my life. Jesus' death is my life. Because apart from him bearing our sins in his body on the cross, we have no life. The cross is absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And the purpose of this, of him dying in our place for our sins on the cross, was so that we would be healed by his wounds, meaning spiritually speaking, we would be... uh, healed, made right with God, washed clean, restored, reconciled, no longer in broken relationship, but that we would be healed. We wouldn't have spiritual death. We wouldn't have physical death hovering over us as our enemy, but we would now have life eternal in Jesus. That's the ultimate healing. That we would be healed by his wounds, Peter says, and that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Because what's God in the business of doing? He's not in the business of just saving people so that um, they would escape torment forever, and, uh, and that's it. That, of course, is part of it, that they would escape the wrath, his wrath, the wrath of God in hell and the lake of fire. But also, he cares about this life, too, that those who believe in Jesus in this life would die to sin and live to righteousness, and that they would be vessels of mercy displaying the wonderful grace of God by their changed lives and the way that they live. So we are healed by Christ to live for God forever. And he goes on to say in the last verse of this passage, for you are continually straying like sheep. You were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Well, is that true for you? Is that true for you that you were continually straying like a sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd, to the guardian of your soul, and that you've been once for all made right with God, your creator? Or are you still straying like a sheep? You know, sheep are really dumb, so it takes a lot of humility to own up to this, but are you straying, jumping from one religious thought to the next, one philosophical theory to the next. All the while, you have the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ sitting right in front of you in the Bible. Are you straying like a sheep, or have you embraced the truth of God? Have you believed in what Jesus has done in your place for your sins, that you would be made right with God by grace through faith once for all? Well, I hope that it's true of you that you have repented and believed in Jesus Christ and trusted in his finished work for your salvation. And if it is the, if that is true of you, uh, that's amazing. And God bless you. Get into a good church and serve God all of your days. Die to sin and live to righteousness. If that is not true of you, I would love to talk to you about it more. Um, I would love to help you understand more of the gospel. So reach out and we could, we could talk about it. Well, until next time, take care. God bless. And, uh, Keep focusing on Jesus.